Hello, welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, glad you're here. Glad you could make it. I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger from dancefish.com, and I'm glad to have you here. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. What do we do? Well, we just geek out about fish. So um, I generally give a report about how shipping fish went since I last seen you, because that's what we do here at dancefish.com. We ship fish out across the nation and then give you kind of an update on what's been going on here at Dan's Fish. And then we get to questions and comments. So if you like fish and you have questions about aquariums or taking care of fish, breeding fish, raising fish, building fish rooms, shipping fish, any of that stuff, then uh, you're in the right place. So welcome everyone, glad you could be here. The first thing I want to get right to is the shipping report. Um, looks like all the fish that I sent out since last time we spoke, if I'm remembering correctly, have arrived alive and are doing fine. In fact, I have some good news. The rainbow fish, it was a uh, Cohen River, the Cohen River rainbow fish that I was, what is that? That's Melanotania trifosciata is the species, and it's from Cohen River. Um, we had one last week that we shipped out, and when it arrived, it's, it was keeping its mouth wide open. I was afraid it might have got an injury in its mouth and had some damage or something, but that customer since reached out to me let me know that the fish has recovered. So I am so happy to report that. I, I honestly didn't think he was going to make it because... The few times I've experienced that when I've received fish, it has been something that did not <laughs> did not recover like a severe injury or something. So I was glad to hear about that. Also, the goby that we were worried about last week, as far as I know, um, is doing fine. I haven't had any report that it went south or anything. So I think everything's fine there. The one thing that is not good that I have to report is that I sold right before I noticed that the Goldie Plecos were having an issue, and I still don't know what it is. But a couple days before that, I sold a Goldie Pleco to uh, a local customer. I also sold the last um, L201 to that customer. Um, and unfortunately, they passed away. So whatever the Goldie had... Um, it communicated that to the L201 and they both ended up passing. So I'm, I apologize to that customer. You know who you are. Um, it's all been taken care of and everything. And that wasn't even shipped. That was a local person that came and picked them up. But um, I still want to be transparent and let you guys know how everything went. So the stuff I was worried about did fine. The stuff I didn't realize had a problem, <laughs> those two plecos, actually just the one pleco, but I think it passed it to the, to the L201, did not do well. So Lost two, um, and in that that was I think that's been two weeks or something like that since week and a half, two weeks since uh, I sold those plecos. So I guess technically it's not in the they weren't bought since the last live stream, but um, it happened. And I did talk last last live stream about having some unexpected problems with the Goldie plecos. So I just want to give you an update on that. So anyone else? Hopefully your Goldies are doing fine. As far as I know. Everyone else, their goldies are doing just fine. I think that they were probably shipped before the problem developed. So I hope that's the case. If not, um, then let me know so I can take care of you. But I, I think everything's going okay. I forgot to turn off the heater. Just one second. 
Okay, sorry about that. I, if I don't turn the furnace off while I'm live streaming, then when it kicks on, it's like it's it's right, it's right there. <laughs> That's the furnace. Um, well, this is a pile of stuff. That's the furnace right there, and so it's only a few feet away. So when it kicks on. It's pretty darn loud. So sorry, I forgot to turn that off. So anyway, that's the shipping report. Didn't lose anything uh, that I shipped since last week, but some stuff that happened a little while ago, a couple weeks ago, week and a half ago, um, did have some losses from back then. But everything else has gone fine, I think. So yeah, that's where we're at with that. Um, as far as Updates on the business side. I do have some Radnocentris rainbow fish and some other cool stuff that'll be releasing soon. It'll hit the two week mark. I, I think this weekend I'll be able to release them for sale. So far, they're doing pretty good. So I'm really excited to have some rads for sale. Um, also, I placed an order today with another supplier, just a really small one. I can't do anything big because um, I'm hoping the large import from Nigeria comes soon. But I did order some more stuff. I'm trying to get some more rice fish, trying to get some more of the fish that people have been really wanting for a long time. And I'm not going to go over that list today, but I just want to let you know that so there's some odds and ends that are probably going to be creeping in. Uh, they should arrive next week. So hopefully that goes well. It's getting cold enough that it really matters what the suppliers do. So it's cold enough now. We're getting snow. I think we got 10 inches of snow last week and uh, it's getting cold at night and things. And so the my suppliers, depending on how well they pack the fish and heat the box and how quickly everything happens, um, we're getting to the time of year where that really matters. Over the summer and spring, it matters in in. Well, we didn't really have a fall. We went straight to winter. But when it's warmer, it doesn't matter quite so much. But sometimes it's hard to communicate with suppliers from Los Angeles or Florida or Texas or whatever where it's hot that, no, it's cold up here. I really need you to pack these well. I, I, I can't have them sitting around for two, three days. They have to be packed well. They have to get here. They have to be heated. So I think I communicated that clearly, <laughs> but we'll see if they do it. It's uh, it's a funny business, uh, the way people do things sometimes. So anyway, uh, got some more stuff coming in. Progress on building the warehouse. For those that are new, we're building a large warehouse um, where we'll be able to move our business so that we can do real business. And I met with an electrician earlier today. So getting some quotes on that. I have two more boiler quotes I'm waiting for. We have to heat a lot of water. We're heating um, half a million gallons of water a day. So 350 gallons a minute is the amount of water we're heating. So I've been trying to find the right boiler combination, the most uh, effective way to heat the water without wasting natural gas, being a drain on the environment and having to pay a bunch every month. And I think I've pretty much settled on what I'm going to do. I'm waiting for two more quotes, but I think I know the path I'm going to take. So that's nice to have that kind of settled away. Um, plumbing quotes have come back. They're pretty high, so I'm going to get some more, but I think they're kind of within range. So kind of know what that'll be. And um, getting the electricians going. Uh, meeting with the engineer tomorrow, just to go over the plan, make sure everything's progressing, and hopefully we can start breaking 
ground pretty darn soon here. So we're, we're moving along with that project. Um, the last thing I want to do before I get to your questions and comments is I'm very excited about something on GetGills that I want to share with you. So this is GetGills.com, and Cunning Fish has listed one of my absolute favorite fish ever. This is Aphiosimian bivitatum from Funge, also called a chrome Aphiosimian. This is the fish that is my logo. So this species, what my logo is um, up here, is a silhouette of a picture of this species that I took a few years ago in my own aquariums. This is my favorite of the Chromaphiosemians. They get pretty big, they have bold colors, they're hardy, they're easy to breed. So um, Cunning Fishes has had quite a few killifish up for sale. They've sold out of almost everything, but you can still get some of these fungi and a few of these um, gardnerite types. So worth checking out, at least to me, I, I really like that fish. And then the other thing I wanted to show you is there's some cool pistos that have been listed. What's going on? Search, a pisto. Okay, not sure. Oh, because I'm stuck in killifish, I think. Just a sec. There we go. So these from JD Aquatics, there's some pretty cool Episto species. Abacaxis, Palmuleri, and Bitaniata. So epistogrammas that you just don't see around very often. Vejita, there's some Cacatoides, we, we see those generally more Hongzlois, things like that are fairly common. Um, oh, what's this one? Tristan's got some stuff too, some Agazizii. So anyway, I thought those were pretty cool. Those are species that you just don't see that often. So I wanted to give them a shout out. Um, then the last thing, so not a whole lot on my end, not a whole lot to report as far as stuff happening. Cause we're kind of in the lull. Like we, how it works here is we have a really busy month and then we have like a lull and then we have a really busy month. And then we have a month that's like less. It's just, that's the cycle. Since we're a small facility and have to purchase in bulk, that's just the nature of the cycle <laughs> of our inventory. So we, we've kind of hit the lull right now. So not a ton to report, um, except for the giveaway. So I'll be giving away some, actually a um, red betta. This is a female and she's a Dumbo ear. So she's got these beautiful uh, pectoral fins. They look like uh, elephant ears. So I'll be giving away one of those. So if you would like to enter to win a betta, then hashtag Dumbo, D-U-M-B-O for Dumbo ear betta. So if you'd like to enter, uh, put hashtag Dumbo in the chat and you will be entered to win that a little later tonight. So with that, we're going to get to questions and comments. So if you have a question or comment, put it down. I'm going to scroll up and start on that right now. And let's see how far behind I can get. <laughs> Want to thank my mods for being here. Good to see you guys. Hope everything's going well. Um, Pam, I hope your uh, arm slash shoulder. <coughs> Excuse me. Hope your arm shoulder is uh, is doing okay. 
Pam's one of my mad, my, my mads, my mad mods, <laughs> punchy paints. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Candy, for letting me know that the audio is good. I should have checked that earlier. Still don't know what was happening before, but how I fixed it is I just shut off the computer and get the camera all connected while the computer shut off and then restart everything. And since I've been doing that, there hasn't been a problem. So still not sure. <laughs> what what it was, but I know how to prevent it. Preston, John, I get here and Dan just leaves. I know. <laughs> how rude. So Preston's here. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Glad you're here, Preston. Michael Mellier, any plans on bringing in any rain, rainbow fish in the near future, getting ready to stock a new 75-gallon living room tank? Yes. Um, it's not going to be the near, near future. That's probably going to be something that happens when the warehouse is done. Um, the next time I order from one of my suppliers um, in Indonesia, the guy I get the rainbow fish and stuff from, he has some Rio Nene angels. He has some Amapa redback angels. And he also has some neat Pinoy, some blue zebras, some Bulgarian uh, greens, uh, some really cool types of angel fish. So, I do plan on stocking uh, a good variety, but I don't know how soon that will be. I've got a massive order from Nigeria that I'm clearing tank space for right now. So I don't know when I'll be able to do that because I kind of have to order them in bulk. So I do plan on doing that, but I can't give you a timeline. Jeffrey Cunningham. Okay, thanks, Dan. You're welcome. You're welcome. Um, oh, Jeffrey, are those your Achilles? Awesome. I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> but yeah, awesome. If they're yours, I was so happy to see a bunch of really cool killifish appear on Get Gills. And I'm glad it seems like they're selling pretty well. So that's awesome. All right. Chattanooga Ed, put down the Foxcat sticker and I'm getting punched in the face. For $5. Thanks, Ed. Glad you're around. You can punch me anytime for five bucks. Orange cones, don't you mean break snow? That's, I'm so far behind, I can't remember what that was uh, in relation to. <laughs> Rockford Fish, I bought a pair of Funge from Cunning Fish, and they arrived today. I was his first order on Get Gills and wrote a review. Awesome. Awesome rocking fish. I'm glad you got them. I mean, I don't know if they've colored up yet or not, but give them a week or so and you'll see uh you'll see why they're they're my logo. They're they're amazing, amazing fish. Super easy to keep and breed. I think you made a good choice on the funge, for sure. Okay, chat jumped, so let me catch up here real quick. I'm not too far behind. This this might I might actually catch up today. Candy overhauls from Andrew Purr. I am on Android. Oh, yeah. Right. I get you. How should I go about introducing the artificial snails to my puffers? Okay. So for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, puffers need to eat constantly because their, their beak, teeth, whatever you want to call it, it's a protrusion of the jawbone, really, um, grows constantly on a lot of species because they're molluscivores. They eat crabs and shrimp and crayfish and snails and stuff with shells. So it's kind of like a hamster. 
you got to have stuff for your hamster to chew on constantly to wear down their teeth or their teeth will overgrow and their mouth won't work right. Right. Same kind of thing with a puffer. So you can feed snails, you can feed stuff with hard shells for them to crunch through, but not everyone has access to that all the time. So a way to uh, get their teeth worn down without access to that all the time is you can take a gel food like rapashi and you can make rapashi and add oyster shell to it. Oyster shell is a really cheap shellfish shell that you can buy at any like ranch supply store. They sell it for grit for chickens. You can buy a massive bag for a few bucks. So it's a cheap way to get a bunch of shells into the food so that when the fish eat the rapashi, when the puffers chunk on the rapashi, they wear down their teeth on the shelly material. The trick is, how do you get a puffer that's used to eating live food to eat rapashi? And what worked for me, Andrew, is just time. So I would, I started with new puffers. I generally start with live foods and, and transition them to frozen foods. I still feed them live, but get them on, on frozen foods. And then I start transi transitioning them to prepared foods. And I do that just because they usually come in in really bad shape. And so I want to get them fattened up and through medications and everything before I try to get them onto like a prepared food because I know it'll take a while. But the trick with it is I don't starve them or anything. It's all about familiarity. So I just put a little bit of rapashi in the tank. And I come back a couple hours later and I take it out because they're not going to eat it for the first while. And I do that every day, maybe a couple times a day, depending on how much time I have. And I just keep doing that until the puffers realize that's food. And eventually they'll get to the point where the moment you drop the rapashi and they mob it and they just go crazy for it. It just takes time. So I would just start dropping in a chunk of rapashi, expecting to take it out in a couple hours and not expecting them to even touch it for maybe a couple weeks or more. But eventually, the first one will take a bite. And a little after that, they'll take a bite again and actually swallow it, right? And once the first one starts doing that, the rest will kind of cue into it. If it's a communal species like Amazon puffers. So that's what I would say. Just put it in there and take it out. Put it in there, take it out. Be totally patient. And once they're familiar with it, they should start eating it. Scott D, can black ruby barbs tolerate salt? And if so, how much? Thanks. Yes, they can tolerate salt. And um, are, are you trying to treat something? Is this a temporary thing or a lifelong thing? Um, five grams per liter is no problem. What's that? Is that five parts per thousand? Something like that. Um, but anyway, five grams per liter works well. Uh, the veterinarians say between five and eight grams per liter is the safe zone for pretty much pretty much every fish. So you could go anywhere in that area. I stick with five just because I'm chicken. But that's what I would do. Um, up to five grams per liter should be no problem. If you're trying to treat something, maybe it'd be worth going a little higher and trying eight grams per liter of water. Okay. <laughs> I see a gazoon tight. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Sneeze snuck up on me. We have 226 viewers. That's pretty good for this little station. Thanks for being here, folks. Glad you could join us. Okay, hang on. Chat did its thing. Got to catch up here. Well, let me page up. No. Oh, now it will. Cool. 
then I can look without the sound of that mouse scroll. Mega Mindy Lou, my golden white clouds are doing great. Awesome, I'm glad to hear it. I bought some regular white clouds locally, saw them flashing at each other today. Do they cross? Absolutely. They're the same species, just a different color. It's like a chocolate lab and a golden lab, or black lab, or whatever, right? All the same thing, just a different color form of that specific, uh, well, in that case, dog breed, in this case, species. So they'll cross just really easily. Orange cones, you said you were about ready to break ground, but really break snow. Oh, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And break ground might be optimistic, but um, at least ready to get the groundwork in process. And depending on what the weather does, we might be able to get the cement slab down and get uh, the walls and ceiling up and, and work on the interior throughout the winter. But we'll have to see how it's going. It's kind of hard to do some of this in snowstorms. I think we're about to get another storm when tomorrow. Um, yeah, it's winter. We didn't get a fall. It was kind of like nice summer and then boom, full winter. So that'll probably back off a bit and we might get a few weeks where it's kind of more mellow and we'll see how much we can get done uh, before the hard freeze. But yes, break snow for sure. New Mexico Aquatics, benefit of breeding Photolopanchex gardneri in water versus breeding them using peat moss. Thank you. So I prefer peat moss, but both methods work. The reason I prefer peat moss is A, um, if one egg gets a bacterial infection um, or funguses or something like that and starts rotting, it's less likely to spread to the other eggs on peat moss. It'll spread pretty quickly in water. Although you can use methylene blue or the old standbys acroflavin. I don't even know if acroflavin's still around, but if you water incubating, you can add chemicals that will help prevent that. So it's not like you have to do it, but the, the lore is the theory is that on damp peat moss, since it's harder for aquatic organisms to move back and forth. So it's less likely for fungus or bacteria or whatever to travel and infect all the eggs. Sometimes when you're water incubating, you'll see this not just with killifish, but with angelfish and lots of stuff where if one egg goes bad, pretty soon the ones around it go bad and you'll just see it kind of go out in concentric circles and infect everything. Um, that's why you kind of want to remove those bad eggs, treat with some kind of chemical to prevent that, stuff like that. So that's the first thing. But the main reason I like to do it is because then I can collect a week or two's worth of eggs at once, put them in one container of peat moss, wait a couple weeks, and when all the eggs are ready to hatch, I can wet the peat moss and they'll all hatch out at once. If you water incubate and you pick eggs on Friday and then on Saturday and then on Sunday and then on Monday, then when they're ready to hatch, they'll hatch out four days apart. And in killifish land, they grow so fast that a four day difference on little fry can be a big difference. So it could be that in a couple weeks, the first ones to hatch have grown enough that they can actually start cannibalizing on the, the last ones to hatch over a four day differential. So instead put them in peat moss and wait till they're all ready to hatch and then they'll hatch all at once. So um, that's what I would say. Carol Cux, can you please discuss using Rapashi types? When to use it? So 
Okay, for those unfamiliar, um, after this live stream, get on YouTube and just search Rapashi and you'll see how to make it. It's really easy. You take like one part, this dry powder called Rapashi, something like this. It's just this dry powder in here. And you mix it with uh, two to three parts water. So you boil the water and then you mix it and you just mix it with a spoon or whatever, pour it in a container and when it cools, it solidifies, kind of like making jello, right? Heat it up, it'll dissolve, let it cool, it'll solidify. Then you can cut that kind of, it's like a stiff gel into little cubes and you can put that in the fridge and feed it over the course of a week or so to your fish. The advantages to that are the way it breaks down is it'll just gradually kind of uh, stop being a solid cube and become this very gradually become this lump of powder on the bottom of the tank if you don't if it doesn't get eaten. But that takes many hours. So if you put a bunch of flake food in and the fish don't eat it for several hours, it's going to start kind of rotting and decomposing it. It kind of becomes this cloudy mess, which is hard to manage. If you put rapashi in and they don't eat it for a few hours, it's going to stay this nice cube. Let's say you put it in in the morning before you go to work. You come home from work, you can scoop out what hasn't been eaten and throw it away. So it's a great way to keep food in front of fish long term. There's a lot of fish out there that are grazers. They just kind of eat all day long. It's only really the large carnivorous fish that aren't grazers. Those are hunters, predators, and they'll do a big meal. Think of like a snake, not quite that extreme, but they, they'll grab a big meal and they might not eat again for several days until the next opportunity comes along, right? But most of our fish are little peaceful community fish. They're not predators, they're grazers. And so keeping food in front of them throughout the day is really useful, especially for fish like spotted headstanders, um, a lot of the different stiffen-on gobies and other biofilm um, type kind of benthic feeders. Um, a lot of the loaches, the hillstream type loaches and things fall in this category. They kind of graze all day long. It's also very useful for fry. Fish fry need constant food in front of them in order to grow rapidly. And they also need clean water. So if you can't do live food, the best is live food because then the food is alive until it's eaten. So it's not fouling the water at all until it's eaten, right? I mean, the poop is on the other end, but front ended, it's not. <laughs> Whereas flakes and powders and things um, that aren't eaten will, will kind of quickly uh, kind of rot in there. Rapashi, if you can't do live food, is the next best thing. You put a chunk of rapashi in there, you come back several hours later, and the fish have had the rapashi all day long to chew on, and you take out the rapashi they haven't eaten. So that's why I think it's really useful. As far as the types, um, use what you like. I, I stick with the community generally, but um, there's specific blends for carnivores, there's specific blends for placostomus and catfish, there's specific blends for different kinds of fish. I keep so many different kinds of fish that I generally just use the community blend. And if it's a fish that needs a lot of veggie, maybe I'll mix in some Soylent Green, another of their varieties in there. But community blend generally does a good job. So it's a nice way 
to keep food in front of fish um, on a more or less continuous basis without fouling your water as badly as you would with flakes and some pellets and things like that. So hope that helps, Carol. Brian Nepple, I know you have, okay. I know you have you sell certain for a dollar amount. Okay. I know you have to, okay, I think I get this. I know you have to sell a certain dollar amount, but have you ever thought of asking autos and packages or groups? So I think what Brian's talking about is in order for me to sell fish online and for the economics to work uh, for the business, I have to sell fish um, for a certain amount, usually it's $6 or more. Less than that, I'm probably losing money, like literally not making money because of the time it takes to quarantine them, feed them all the expenses, um, the time it takes to prepare them for shipping and to ship them properly and stuff. Um, the way I go about things is expensive just because it takes a lot of time and care. So if I'm not selling a fish for six bucks, I'm probably losing money. Whereas other companies that don't do it that way, they might be able to sell a fish for 99 cents or $2 or whatever, and, and they're fine. Um, and this is also specific more to like shipping. If I was just in a pet store, um, I'd still have to watch my margins, but since I'm not doing all the prep work of shipping and I just have to scoop them out when you come and put them in a bag and they're going to be in their new home within half an hour or so, then this is a little different. But mail order fish businesses, um, margins are difficult. So you have to be careful what you do. So Brian's saying, okay, I know you can't sell autos for six bucks, let's say, or it could be any fish, um, could be zebra danios. It could be anything that's less than six bucks. But what if you sold them in packages of six or so? And the answer is I individually ship fish um, in their own individually bag, in their own individual bags. So even if you buy a minimum of six, the space and the work and everything to individually bag them and prep them properly for shipping and uh, all the hidden expenses on shipping that are not covered by the shipping costs, like in winter, the heat packs and the styrofoam liners. Styrofoam liners on a large box are about five bucks each. That's my cost. Um, then there's the box itself. Then there's the heat pack. Depending on the size of the heat pack, that could be two, two fifty, something like that. Uh, maybe three if it's a big heat pack. Um, and then you've got the bags, you've got the oxygen. So just all that expense is not always recouped when people pay for shipping. It depends on where it's being shipped to and things. I try to break even, but during the winter, I actually lose a little bit of money generally on shipping. So there's not enough margin. There's not enough um, money on inexpensive fish to be worth doing all that work to pack them up and ship them if it's a business scenario and you have to turn a profit, not with the way I prep fish and things. So it just doesn't work. Uh, even if I had, even if you just had to buy 12, right, that's the minimum. Still all that time and effort to individually bag them alone eats a lot of margin. So unfortunately, Brian, it doesn't work for my model right now. I have thought about it. I've crunched the numbers in almost every way I can imagine. And the reality is that just the way I do it, um, a fish has to cost six bucks or more. 
Now, there are some fish I have for sale right now that are less than six bucks because uh, during COVID, when COVID first struck, it was almost impossible to get fish. So honestly, for a while there, I got whatever I could. Uh, white clouds, platies, um, croak, uh, sparkling gouramis. I do have fish right now that are less than six bucks, but I saw that as the lesser of two evils. There were two things I could have done in that situation. I knew it was temporary or it wouldn't have worked, but I could have not bought any fish and have nothing to offer. And then your customer base kind of dries up. Or I could order what was available. Sometimes I would order as many as like 60, 70 species. I might be lucky sometimes to get five or 10. Like that's how difficult it was to get fish in. So I kind of said, okay, I'm going to cast a wide net, order a whole bunch, and I get what I get. And sometimes I got um, stuff that was inexpensive. But during for that temporary thing in order to keep uh, fish available for my customers so that the customers didn't all just, if I couldn't serve them, go somewhere else and I lost that connection, um, I went ahead and got the cheaper fish just as a temporary band-aid. And I still got a few of those left at this time. But generally, um, generally I can't make money unless I sell fish for six bucks or more. Joseph DeLuca, Congo Puffers anytime soon. Um, it it's going to have to wait till after the Nigeria order. So um, not until after that. Hopefully that will come in November. If there's tank space left after that, I can do another order. But it's probably going to be if that order comes in November and I can start selling in November or December. It might be January at this point before I can get more Congo spotted puffers. Because I have to get the new order in quarantine for two weeks, then it's going to take me about a month to sell through to the point where I have enough tank space free to do another large order and bring in the Congo puffers. I can't just, uh, I can't just order Congo spotted puffers. I have to order them plus thousands of other fish in order to do an import in order to get to the volumes I have to do. And that takes a lot of tank space, which is, this is one reason I can't wait for the warehouse. Uh, once I get the warehouse, this problem will be mitigated significantly and I'll be able to bring stuff in a lot more frequently. Lefty three, two, one, three, a, <laughs> not a question. Just wanted to let you know that the wild bettas are doing awesome. Still. I'm so glad to hear that lefty. Everyone's alive, eating like pigs and getting along swimmingly together. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Folks. If you haven't tried wild type bettas yet, do yourself a favor, do some research, make sure that you know kind of which species are calm, which species are not calm <laughs> and all that. But, um, after you do a little bit of research, they're amazing, rewarding fish. And don't judge them by what you see in the pet store, little brown stressed out darts. Don't judge them by that. Uh, give them a good home, let them settle in, and you'll be rewarded. Even the brown species are pretty once they settle in. They'll get bright blue throats, they get neat behavior, really cool group of fish. New Mexico Aquatics. At what age are Fundulopanchak's gardenerai? For those that don't know what this is, this is my favorite fish ever. Just a quick picture for those that might be brand new. This is Fundulopanchak's gardenerai, a really pretty killifish. Awesome, awesome 
awesome fish and I'm not showing it to you. Here you go. <laughs> now you can see it. Anyway, that's the fish we're talking about. Um, at what age are the males most sexually productive? Should I breed my females with an older, large dominant male or should I use one of the younger guys? If size, if they line up size wise, I would use a younger male. So as soon as they're fully colored out, even if they aren't fully grown, um, they'll be breeding machines. Now the older males will breed pretty well too. So I honestly, with that species, um, I don't see any male that's willing to breed is generally fertile. They're not one where I've experienced a lot of infertility. They're, they're very fecund, very fertile fish. So, but once a male is fully colored, he's good to go. And if he's old enough that he's like big and kind of got the crooked back and everything, um, that happens in captivity because they live way past their lifespan. So once they're a few years old, they can start looking a little funky. Um, you'll be able to notice just a male that's, they start looking a little funky. They swim a little less robustly. <laughs> they'll, they'll feed a little slower. You know, once they get into that mode, they're probably not breeding anymore. But up to that point, I think you're honestly good. Really easy fish to breed. Hope they're doing well for you. Hope I don't keep saying these are easy to breed. And little Bobby's over there been like, I've tried for months and nothing's happening. Like, just because they're easy for me doesn't mean necessarily that they'll be easy for you. But in my experience, it's hard to get that fish to stop breeding as opposed to working hard to get it to breed. Um, okay, got a question here from Joe. Have you ever worked with Ansorgii? Fractolamus, Fractolamus. So that's the hinge mouth, this fish. I never have. I think that the reason is, isn't this the one that's, uh, is this? I've looked into them because they are available. I can get them from um, Nigeria, I believe. So I've researched them several times. And there's a reason I keep not getting them and I can't remember what it is. I'd have to do some research again to remember what that reason is. So I don't have any experience with them. Um, there's something about what they eat. Um, I don't think they're the one that cuts up all the other fish in the tank. There is one species that just slices and dices all the rest of the fish in the tank. It's like a scale eater and a fin, a fin cutter. Um, I think this might've been due to dietary restrictions or something, but I can't remember for sure. I'd have to dig in. I don't remember. Okay. Hang on. Chat jumped. So let me catch up here. But Joe Kirk, good question. I, if anyone here has kept that fish, please let me know. And if they worked well for you, let me know. Cause they are on the list and I have thought about them quite a bit. Orange cones, my headstanders are rapaciaholics and anything left over, I move to the scuds to finish it off. Oh, that's a great use of leftover rapashi. Yeah, if you have a scud culture, throw it in there. Absolutely. That sounds that sounds amazing. Okay. Carol Cox, thank you, Dan. This will be great for some juvenile epistos I just got. Yeah, the rapashi should work fine. Now be aware. Any fish that isn't used to rapashi is gonna take a little time before 
they get used to it. It's, it's a totally different kind of food. So they might be used to pellets and flakes, but the rapashi might be new to them. So it's that same kind of thing as with the Congo, um, as with puffers and things. Just put a little piece in, a couple hours later, take it out. And just do that a few times, and eventually the fish will cue into it and, and start eating it really well. I mean, most fish. There's obligate predators like uh, South American leaf fish and stuff that probably never would, but most fish will. Okay. Chevy fish. Hey, Chevy fish. I hope you're doing well. Good to, good to hear from you. Just want to thank you for your time, effort, and dedication to the hobby and how you care for our fish. Hey, you're welcome. Um, glad to do it. Um, but, you know, in all fairness, I think everyone here is, if you're a nerd in the chat, if you're a true fish nerd, you're probably all like dedicated to the hobby and to caring for your fish well. But, um, you know, I, I think we're making a difference in how fish are being treated and shipped. And it's small now, but I think we can grow it to have a real impact on this industry. So we're on the way. And thanks for, uh, thanks for noticing and participating and appreciating. It makes it worth it. Joe Williams has a note here about rapashi. I make a batch of rapashi, cut it into the cubes. Oh, you put it the size of frozen food cubes. Okay, then freeze them, just cut chunks, some frozen cubes into tanks, breaks down a bit more quickly, but easier with fewer tanks. Okay, so he makes rapashi, puts it in like the, probably those little tiny ice cube tray things and freezes them and puts them in. And yeah, I've noticed that too. Um, once it's been frozen, it, it breaks down more quickly in the tank, but it'll still last longer than, than most foods. So cool, good tip. Kelly Foreman for some chocolate for the wife <laughs> throwing down $4.99. Thank you so much, Kelly Foreman. Always appreciated, never required, but super chats do make the wife super happy. Okay, scrolling to the next one. Candy, are flights coming into Billings yet or are you going to Denver to pick up that next order? So flights are kind of coming into Billings. I had a discussion with uh, Delta at Billings today. They are doing cargo, but nothing that isn't direct. So if my supplier was in Salt Lake City or Minneapolis, Minnesota, then they could ship directly to Billings and that would work. But they aren't doing any connecting flights. So if my supplier is in Los Angeles, then it doesn't work. Or if it does work, it's a full day's delay before it goes. So not really. They aren't back to normal yet. So for Nigeria, I might be going to Denver. Um, or I might just have it overnighted to me. So I'm, I'm not sure quite exactly how we'll be doing that one. But not billions at this time. That might change. Maybe by the time the order is actually done, uh, the, the cargo and billions will be back to normal. I don't know. But as of now, there's kind of cargo going into billions, but nothing with a layover, nothing that's not a direct flight. Punchy paints. Thank you for the, the fertilizer, Pam. So appreciated. <laughs> I appreciate it, Pam. <laughs> Thanks for the poop. Sigla's <laughs> 23, throwing down $5 for the Mountain Dew Fund. Thanks so much. 
Thank you. Thank you. Always appreciated. Never required, but it helps guys. It really does. Punchy Paints, hope you're doing well. Hope your arm's feeling a lot better. I missed you. It was too bad you didn't end up being able to come up for the camping. I, I was looking forward to seeing you again, but hope you're doing well, sister. Orange cones. Okay, to help you out and make more room for the big import, I'll take all the CPDs and chili rasboras. All right. Order up. <laughs> They're at dancefish.com. I think the chili rasboras might be about out. I've got a count. I think I've got maybe like 10 more. Um, oh, and I sold the last chocolate garamis today. I got to remember to make sure there aren't any more listed. Make a note of that. I want to make sure that uh, inventory is out on the website because I'm out in the tank. So I better be out on the website. Otherwise, things get pretty funky. Gary Duncan, would it be possible to keep four male epistococatoides in a 29-gallon? Well, anything's possible, Gary, but that's not something I would try. In my experience with epistogramococatoides, it's pretty much one male rules the tank, and all the other males kind of get thrashed. Um, personally, I would not try it. But that's just me. Um, if there are other folks that have a different experience, please chime in. I think it takes a pretty large tank. With a lot of line of sight blocks and stuff to pull something like that off. I don't think a 29 gallon would be nearly enough for four males. Let me know, though, all you folks that keep cockatoides. What are your thoughts? Have you had success in a setup like that? I, I've never tried that specifically. So I'd be interested to hear if other folks are having success keeping uh, several male epistos together. Um, and if so, how you pull it off? What kind of decorations are you using and stuff like that? So we can help out Gary a little more. W. Marion, sparkling gourami spawning. Awesome. Advice for care, remove the female, remove the eggs, nest in middle of tank, so pair somewhat aggressive to other garamis in the tank. So if you're really, really serious about raising the fry, the first thing is you're going to need some food for them. And it's probably going to need to be live food if you want to raise a large number of fry. Something like rotifers, paramecium, infusoria, green water, tiny, tiny little live food. So if you have a culture of something like that going, then it might be worth um, keeping a real close eye on that and see how it's a community tank, it sounds like, or at least several garamis in the tank. As soon as those little babies are free swimming, they're going to be in jeopardy. The male will do a pretty good job guarding them up till they leave the nest. But once they leave the nest, it's going to be really hard to uh, to raise them up. So what I would do is get that live food culture going, green water, rotifers, infusoria, paramecium, something live. There's two ways to go about it. You could remove all the other fish from the tank, hope that doesn't spook the incubating male, and then as soon as the fry leave the nest, as soon as you see them free swimming, remove him or remove the fry. Good luck finding the fry. You probably have to remove him and then start feeding green water culture or something like that. That's one way to do it. 
The way I would probably do it, though, is I'd probably keep a close eye on that nest. And the day before they became free swimming, I would probably remove them. I would put them in their own container, light flow, some kind of really lightly misting air stone or something like that. Really, really light circulation. And then hopefully within a few hours or, you know, maybe that's the evening and the next morning when you wake up, they're free swimming. I try to time it like that. But neither of these are going to be worth doing probably unless you have a live food culture going of some really, really tiny foods. So if you don't have that, um, then I wouldn't worry about it because it's probably not going to be successful anyway, in my humble opinion. Now, I know folks use powdered foods and all that, but if you're going to raise a large number of the spawn or a good percentage, then I think you're going to need some live foods. And baby brine shrimp will be way too big to start. It's got to be something tiny. Little Bobby, I have bred Funnel Panchex Gardneri, but accidentally, ah, now I'm trying to do it on purpose with two females and four males using three tanks. One tank is marbles on the bottom for spawning. Cool. Well, I hope it goes well for you. Um, let me know, and I'm happy to answer any more questions you have about it. Happy to help you along the way. You know, the easiest, easiest way to do it might just be bare tank, no marbles or anything, just a bare tank with a sinking spawning mop and a sponge filter. Put them in there. Then after a week, take out the spawning mop and put it in another tank and wait for babies to appear. Something like that might be the easiest. That might not be the optimal for like the most fry possible, but if you're just kind of starting, that's probably an easy way to do it. Now, if you can separate males and females for a week before you put them in a tank with the spawning mop, that'd be great. One male, two females. Then after a couple days, take out the spawning mop or take out the parents. But that's probably the easiest way to do it when you're just getting started. Um, there's other ways to do it to get more babies, but just to get your feet wet, little Bobby, that's probably the easiest way. Okay, there's aquatics. Boom. Boom. Fist bump right back at you. Well, now it looks like I'm punching you. Hey, that's better. <laughs> Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. Good to see you. And another one below it that I can't see. Jeez. As soon as I can see that, I will respond. But right now I see a fox cat going like that, but I can't see who it's from. Oh, it's from KP. Or if there's a note below. So KP, thanks for the $2 super chat. I don't know if there's a note or anything attached, though. Give me a minute and it'll pop up and I can see it. All right. Mega Mindy Lou. Is there a difference between moss, like moss balls, and algae? Ah, I bought a moss ball a while back, and now when I get home from vacations, there's always a sheet of green moss or algae in my tank. So, moss balls are a form of algae. I doubt, though. Well, how long are you going on vacation? Like, if it's like a sheet of green moss and it's on the the walls and, and everything of the tank, I doubt it's that. That stuff grows pretty slowly and it would take a long time in my opinion to like have it coat the tank or something. So my, my gut feeling is it's probably something else, another form of algae doing that. But I could be wrong. I'm, I'm not the most knowledgeable about plants. I mean, something that just goes boom and like coats the bottom of the tank, that would be something like a blue-green algae or something in that vein. So not quite sure. 
Not sure if a mothball, that specific type of algae, what is it? Uh, it starts with a C, I think. Can't remember the name of it. Would do that or not. But I don't use mothballs, so I'm not sure. Branded guy, any plans on adding the ability to leave reviews on specific products on top of store reviews on Get Gills? So, not yet. Right now, we're just letting people review their purchase. So, if you made a purchase, you can leave a review. Um, but as far as specific products having reviews, no, it's just transactional at this point. And I don't know, Veranded Guy, um, it's probably a ways down the road before we there's so much other functionality we want to build into the site that it would be a ways down the road before we did something like that. And I think that something like that, it might be useful for dry goods and things, but right now the, the, the site is mostly live fish. And I don't know if a function like that would be that useful for live fish. Mickey M. Hey, Dan, plus everyone. <laughs> Dan Switch, I don't get it. Here in Europe, we've got the same amount of fish as you to order from wholesale lists. Was a period of little less wild South American Asian, but okay since two months. Yeah, so um, all I can tell you is that cargo flights in, in the United States have not picked up yet. So... Are there suppliers in South America I can get stuff from? Yes, but they will only ship to Florida. So I would have to go through some kind of transshipper or wholesaler in Florida to make that happen. Asia, I can get most of the Asian stuff in, but again, flights come when they come. They aren't coming nearly as quick as they used to be. So. There are fish on the list, and there have been for a little while, yes. But the reliability is still not there. Yeah. So, um, when I was talking about, like, during earlier in COVID, when I got whatever I could, I'm talking about, like, this was back in, like, February and March and things like that. I'm not saying that was last month or anything. So it's been a little while since we've been in, in really bad shape. But even since we can get stuff, flights still are not um, as reliable. There's a lot of delays and there's still a lot of stuff trying to come and a lot less flights serving. So you bid the amount and say, this is what I can pay for cargo. And if you're the highest bid, you get on the plane. And if you're not, you don't. So it's still a little bit of a, not not quite as reliable as it could be. It's still definitely not like it was before COVID. All right. Hang on. Chat did its thing. Let me get back up here and see where we're at. Chat jumped on me, so I got to find it. Okay. Gary Duncan, how do you decide what fish will sell well and what fish to order? So unfortunately, I don't decide what fish will sell well. The customers do. I just guess. So what I try to do, I pretty much 
know the value of a fish as far as what the market will will bear. So that's the first thing is I kind of see what can I get for a price that makes sense. There are some suppliers that let's let's just say like a paradise fish, for example. I'm just picking one randomly. One supplier might sell a paradise fish for 10 times what another supplier will sell it for. So, but that supplier that has expensive paradise fish might have really inexpensive uh, fricata rainbows, blue eyes, right? So you kind of have to know each of your suppliers, what they offer. And then basically what I do is I go down and I pick all the fish I would like to get in. Everything that I think might do well or that I'm excited about, or that's that, that I don't think people can get elsewhere easily, stuff like that. So I make my list. Then I calculate all the costs, and I figure out how much I would have to sell that fish for. Well, if it's coming in at a price that is more than I think the market will bear, I just scratch it off the list. There's no point bringing it in if I'm not going to be able to sell it. So that gets rid of a lot of fish. Then... The other thing I do is I say, okay, what's going to go in the tanks I have and go, I have to figure out what tanks the fish are going to go in. Will these go in with the gobies I have there? Once they're through quarantine, can I mix these together? Can I do this? How, how am I going to house these? So that takes care of another section. So that's kind of right there, two ways to kind of just eliminate stuff. Um, I also kind of try to rotate my crops a bit. So if I've had a fish for a long time, then I probably won't get it for another few months just because I've probably saturated my customer base. So it's kind of rotating through a little bit as well. So there's all kinds of things that go into it, Gary, but basically in the end, it's math that decides for me. It's how much will it cost for me to sell? Um, how long has it been since I've sold it? Um, do a bunch of other people have it available right now? And do I have space for it? It's kind of how I decide. Well, I make mistakes all the time. There's stuff that I think will sell like hotcakes and never sells. And there's other stuff that I bring in kind of as filler just because I have to fill a box. And I'm like, well, I guess I'll bring those in because I have to fill the box and they'll sell like crazy. And then there's other times where I'll have a fish and it won't sell for months and months. And then within a week period, five people will buy it and it'll just sell out real quick. It's really kind of finicky market like that. So, and it's, it's a little bit funky. If I was just a pet store on the street that you could come walk into, then I would know I need to stock bettas. I need to stock um, neon tetras. I need to stock cardinal tetras. There are fish in the industry that lead sales in the industry. And so there are fish that you need to just have in stock. But in my situation, I can't really make money on a neon tetra because it's hard to sell a neon tetra for $6 or more when you can get them at Petco for 99 cents or $1.99 or something, right? So it's all priced in as well. Brian, sorry for the brutal grammar. I'm using swipe text while working out at the gym. Any good experience with Daphne cultures? Yes, but it's been a long time. I tried Daphne here a few months ago and just the culture lasted maybe a day or two. So <laughs> I think it's because I have pretty soft water here. I don't think they liked it. But yeah, in the past, I've had great Daphne cultures. I would um, watch the uh, fish room tour that I did with Chase 
He's a total pro at, um, what's his, is his last name? Steindecker, maybe something like that. I'd have to look it up, but Chase, um, I did a video tour with him and he has a Daphnia culture that he's had going for years and he explains in detail how he cares for that and feeds it and stuff. So I would encourage you to look at that. It's the video of, um, something about like breeding tetras and barbs or something like that from, has it been a year or more at this point? It's, it's way back there, but it's a good video from a guy that's doing it long-term. So it's worth looking for. Leonard Klein, I have 12 Emperor Tetras and a 55. Cool. They're full grown. What would go in with them? Um, maybe dim Tetras. I don't know what you meant by a dim Tetra. I just see D-I-M period Tetra. So I'm not sure what you meant by that. But man, 12 Emperor Tetras, full grown and a 55 gallon uh, I need you to narrow the field a little bit there because there's tons of stuff that could go in with that. If you meant diamond tetra instead of dim tetra, yeah, I think they would go great together. But Leonard, let me know a few species you're thinking of and I can kind of guide you that way because it's literally like thousands upon thousands of fish that could go in that setup. W. Marion, thanks for Grammy Green Water Ready. Cool. And Infusoria, too. Awesome. It's a heavily planted 20 gallon, so we'll try to watch for just pre launch of fry. That, that's probably the, that's the way I would go. Yeah, good luck to you. And it might take a time or two before, you know, you could time it out and be like, okay, it's day three. I better take them out tonight because tomorrow they'll be free swimming. Or you'll, you'll eventually get to know their cycle and be able to time it really well. Mickey M, do the stores slash chains own the wholesalers of fish in the U.S.? So all the smaller stores have to do their own imports. Here stores uh, have policy to order from one, but several are available. So um, there are, it depends, honestly, on who the uh, store is. And it depends on where they're at in their cycle. Um so some do have more or less their own supply chains. Others do buy from wholesalers, but they have bulk deals. So even those that buy from wholesalers, um, it's, it's not the same game as the mom and pops are playing for sure. Dry goods either. Um, when I look at what the large dry good pet industry wholesalers sell things for, Often the cost wholesale is more than it costs to go buy it at Petco. So it's, it's, a, it's a funky game that the mom and pops are trying to play. It's really difficult. I think the key is to look for stuff that the big boxes just don't have because it's really hard to compete, you know, mono on mono on the same item for the same price just because of uh, the supply chains. And also um, just the massive discounts that the large stores have from the suppliers. So an example, um, I know that Petco buys from a wholesaler and I know who that wholesaler is. Um, and if I remember right, I think PetSmart has their own distribution facility for fish. So those are two major players and they do it two different ways. Now it's been years since I've really dug into that. I used to work for someone that supplied um, Walmart and, uh, and big box stores, pet stores and things. So, but that's been, 
the last time I worked there was like 2010, 2011. So it's, I, I've been out of it for a few years. I'm not sure what they're doing right now. Kelly's Aquatics. Jalen, your experience, uh, Scarlet, Jim, Battis, Fright. Okay. Jalen Lynn asks, are Scarlet, Battis, Fright difficult to raise? Well, I've never raised them, so I can't answer that. Um, I know some people that have spawned and raised them, and I would say that as long as you have really tiny live foods, you have a great shot. I don't think that the babies would be a lot more difficult to raise than something like a, uh, a licorice garami or something along those lines. So I know other folks that spawn them and raise them without any trouble. In fact, I know several people that have had them spawn in community aquariums that were well planted and a few fried is raised up in there. So I don't think they're terribly difficult. Um, I would ask Scarlet Aquatics. Scarlet Aquatics can be found on Facebook and they, well, they also have a YouTube channel and I know that they've spawned uh, Scarlet Battis and I believe they've raised some babies too, although I couldn't swear to it. Mega Mindy Lou, I'm gone about two weeks. It floats across the top of the water. Oh, I don't think it's that then. Bonus is baby guppy population is exploding. Most of it goes out into the pond. It doesn't grow as well there. Yeah, I don't I I don't think that the moss balls are floating. So um I bet it's a different kind of algae. That's my guess. But again, not the plant guy. I I, I keep a lot of fish, plants, I'm I'm in. I'm a noob. I'm not even a noob. I hardly even grow any plants at all. How are we doing? 257 people are here. Thanks for being here, folks. Glad you could make it. Um, yeah, just thanks for hanging out. KX, I almost said Vlin, but there's no L. KX Vin. Hi, I'm new on this channel and I love it so far. Well, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for coming by. What's that? A new super chat from S for $4.99. Thank you so much, S, for the $4.99 super chat. I appreciate it. And KP, thanks for the sticker. I now see there's no comment there. So thanks for just throwing down a cute kitty. Yeah. Preston John Aquatics, I'd love for you to order in some Indonesian, oh, Indostomus paradoxus or any Indostomus species. So funny you should mention that, Preston. I did. Um, I, I ordered them today. I don't know if they'll arrive, but I did order them in. Um, what's that? The toothpick fish, kind of like a tiny little, little stickleback looking pike fish. Yeah. So Preston John, I did order them. I don't know if they'll arrive. If they do arrive, I don't know if they'll be healthy, but I'll know next week. So hopefully I can hook you up there. I've been looking for that fish for a long time. They just happened to be on the list today. So I was like, yep. I have no idea how well they'll sell, but they're so unique. I think that people have to like that. They're, they're just, okay, we got to show people. Hang on. Let me get back up there and uh, let me show people this. For those that don't know what Preston's talking about. Okay, these guys. These are what we're talking about. Look at this thing. It's tiny little, kind of like a pipe fish, kind of like a pike, maybe seahorse. 
<laughs> neat little little fish. Now they're going to need live food. Um, so if you can't supply live food, I wouldn't even try it. But such a unique little species. This looks like a baby. What's that one? Oh yeah, same species. All right, one more, just because these are so cute. Check them out. So yep, I'm trying. I hope they come in. Joe Coffee, hey, good to see you, Joe. Any plans to bring in any Mangano cichlids in the near future? You know it, Joe. The thing about Mangano is I don't have to plan. I just order fish and magically they appear. <laughs> so Joe, if that's a serious question, the answer is no. Um, I don't do Rift Lake cichlids because my water here is very soft. Um, and if that's a joke, then everyone that's been here for a long time will get the joke. Basically what happened was it's been a year, long time ago, I ordered a bunch of, uh, Epistogrammas, and what they sent me was a big old bag of mangano. <laughs> I almost had, I almost had to give them away. In fact, someone who might be in the chat bought like twelve. I was like, I'm going to send you some extra. They're like, okay. I think I sent them like twenty four or thirty six just to clear the tank out. <laughs> All right. Jeffrey, hang on, Jeffrey. I can't have got to you yet. No, no, it totally jumped on me. We'll get back to you, Jeffrey. I'm trying to go in order here. Here we go. Paul, Paul Soltero. Did you have any luck with the counting apps? Um, haven't tried them yet, Paul, but I will. <laughs> I haven't uh, messed with inventory since since we talked. So that's, that's on the docket for this week, probably tomorrow. Well, tomorrow I've got a ship. Um, hopefully Friday I can go through and count what I really have left in all the tanks and, and get the inventory back up to date. Kayla's Aquatics, Stephen Fletcher, what asks, would you recommend for, what, what would you recommend for a good school in a 40 gallon with hard water and a pH around eight? Um, honestly, Stephen, almost anything. Even if you have hard water, even if you have a high pH, almost all the fish will do well in it. They might not breed, but if you're just looking for a colorful school of fish, let me know what you like and odds are it can go in there. In fact, I can't think of any fish that just melts down around that pH. Um, I know you'll read a lot online, this fish needs a pH of, you know, 5.5 or real soft acidic water. You read that with tons of species. And the reason is the vast majority of the fish we keep come from rainforest type situations. We're talking throughout Southeast Asia. We're talking um, West Africa, South America, the whole Amazon basin, all of that. A lot of that is soft acidic water right? Black water areas. So a lot of the fish you'll read about, it, they always say, you know, needs this pH and, and this hardness. I wish the websites and books and everything would stop listing pH as a parameter at all, because I have yet to meet a fish 
that needs like a 3.5 pH and totally soft water. They won't do well in a pH of eight um, with hard water as long as they're fully acclimated to aquarium life. They're, they're used to, they've been treated with some TLC when they were first imported um, and the water is kept clean in your aquarium. As long as that happens, I think they're going to be fine long-term. So um, I would say, tell me what you like and I'll probably look at it and say, yeah, go for it. Almost anything. Orange cones. Uh, yeah, just that whole listing pH as a parameter has got people in the mindset that they can only keep fish at that pH. And it's, it's so untrue. I just wish that wasn't like ingrained <laughs> in things because it makes things so much more complicated. Orange cones, Scarlet Battis, Dario Dario are just like better fried arrays. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Orange Cones. Mismashed socks. The bed and bells I got from you gave me babies. Awesome. That's awesome. Glad to hear it, Mismashed socks. I enjoy breeding that species too. Um, something nice about a fish that a bed that's just less aggressive than bed splendens when you go to breed it. So I'm glad you're getting babies. That's great. <laughs> that makes my day. Petsotics. Hey, Diego. Petco usually buys from a distributor breeder close to their stores. For example, Petco's in Florida. Most likely go to Seagrass Farms. They try to buy from local distributors when possible. My Petco here in Wyoming buys from Seagrass. So, um, I'm not sure. Again, I've been out of the game for a while at that, that kind of industry game. Dragon Layers. Blake put in a at Dan's fish before your question. He might see it. Yes, that generally works. Let me scroll up and see if I can find Blake. Sounds like Blake was trying to get... Okay, Blake, I see it. I want to start breeding super red bristle nose. Should I start out with six and narrow it down to one male and two females or just a pair? Um, honestly, with bristle nose, I would go more males than females if you can. Yeah, go with six and if you end up with a few extra males, that's good because the males are the ones that go without food and kind of tend the, the babies and everything. The female goes in, lays the eggs and the leaves and starts eating again. So in any case where that happens, the, the, the sex putting in the work to incubate and raise the babies is the one that's going to need a break. So if you have two or three males per female, that's good because she'll spawn with one male and then hopefully the next time she spawns, He'll probably still be tending the eggs and stuff. Hopefully then she'll go spawn with a different male. Um, I mean, how long? Well, maybe not because she's probably not going to be ready to spawn for a couple weeks and the babies might already be out by then. But the point is you're trying to give him a break so she has other options to spawn with. That's how I would do it. I guess the ultimate way to do it would be to have one male in a tank, put in a female, they spawn, you remove the females, you feed the dad back up a bit, once the fry escaped from the cave and then spawn him again after a few weeks, once he's fattened up. I mean, but more males than females gives you better odds of the males getting some food. Okay. 
Punchy baits. Okay, cool. Letting us know the same thing Dragon Layer did to make it an at dance fish. So here's what happens for those that are new. When you say at dance fish, what I see is this bright orange box right here. It highlights for me, and it's much easier for me to find questions directed at me when they're highlighted like that. Okay. Mickey M, same year. The discount large stores get makes it really tough for the small stores to compete. It's just different. Um, there's a way to do it. You just can't go head to head with them. Like, for example, if you have a big box store in your area, don't sell dry goods or sell very limited dry goods and focus on fish because big box stores in general don't do a great job with fish. I mean, think about it. The Petco system, at least that I've seen, there's many, many tanks on a single filter. So if one fish has a disease, it's spreading through all those tanks, right? There's no quarantine area. There's no, they are not set up in a way to be very successful with fish. So I think a mom and pop that does quarantine and actually sells healthy fish and doesn't sell fish until they're going to do well for the customer and stuff like that can really set themselves apart. So Mickey, am I agree it makes it, um, it changes the game the mom and pops have to play for sure. But there's ways to do it. DC Kyle, any experience with outdoor ponds and fish in cooler temps? Yes. Thinking about white cloud minnows because it's been a warmer fall than normal, but wasn't sure if I should wait for the spring. So DC Kyle, white cloud mountain minnows can take it um, down to freezing. They can live in environments with ice across the top without any problem. As long as they get down there gradually. If you're buying white clouds from a pet store, the odds are that they were probably bred in Southeast Asia where it's nice and toasty. And so if you buy them and you take them from the pet store and you put them in your cold pond outside, that's a pretty big shock. In nature, what's going to happen is it's going to be summer, right? And then gradually it's going to cool down and the, over several weeks, it'll get down to those temperatures. So their body has time to adjust. So they can take any temperature you want. You just have to find a way to make the change gradually and then you'll be fine. If you can't do it gradually over a period of a few weeks, I would say, if you're, let's say your pond outside is in the forties and you go buy some white clouds, um, you're going to have to find a way to take a couple weeks to get their temperature down really gradually to that temperature before you put them out in the pond. If you can do that, great. If not, then wait till it's warm, then put, um, the fish in the pond and just leave them and gradually over the fall and winter it'll drop and they'll be just fine. So it's about, it's about easing them into it. Did Priscilla throw money at me? Priscilla, MK, no art. <laughs> Thanks for the $2. Always appreciated. Never required. Nice hair today. Oh, let's line it up. There we go. There we go. Yep. We got the green troll hair. Pogo stem and wig. <laughs> if I ever go to a fish convention with y'all, I'm going to have to find a way to have like a pogo stem and type headpiece that I put on. <laughs> I know some industry folks that could, some like uh, theater folks that could probably make me a pretty nice one. <laughs> it could be fun. Let's do the giveaway. So we've still got 11 minutes, but let's go ahead and do this. We're at 270 viewers. So let's see who wins the beta. 
So today we're giving away a, uh, a female Dumbo ear betta. She's red, has nice white Dumbo ears. And the winner is Danikin. Hey, Kenny, Danny, congratulations. You have won a betta. So uh, I'm just going to wait for you to chime in. You've got a minute to let me know that you're here because you do have to be present to win. But um, you guys are usually here, so I'm sure one of the Danikin duo is around. Oh, I need more of that. All right, let's see if they're here. Come on in, Danny and Ken. Let me know you're here so you can win. I'm sure you are. All right, we're almost at a minute, though. <laughs> Kenny, you're making me nervous. <laughs> are they here? Did they say anything? I've not seen them. Oh, no. Oh, no. Well... Let me scroll down to the bottom, make sure I didn't miss it, but we might have to move on. Fair is fair. Let's see here. Oh no, I, I really wanted, I was really excited to send these because uh, Kenny is a friend. He came over and visited me and saw my fish room and everything, but they haven't responded, so I'm going to have to move on because that's what I'd do if anyone else won and didn't respond. It's been a minute and 40 seconds. So, unfortunately, we're going to do this again. Sorry, Kenny. Sorry, Danny. But uh, fair is fair. Here we go. The winner is Michael Melier. Or is it Melier? Anyway, Michael, either way, you have won. Let us know you're here and... Um, Oh, Danikin Aquatics is here. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I happen to have two bettas. So, and you're here? All right, Michael, cool. So, Michael, if you would send me an email, dan at dansfish.com, um, your first and last name and your mailing address, then I will send you a betta. And, Kenny, if you would do the same... Well, am I setting a bad precedent? I can't do it, Kenny. I, I got to stick with the rules. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want to set a precedent where in the future, yeah, I just got to stick with the rules or things will get messy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All right. So congratulations again to Michael. All right. Let me scroll back up. There were some there was some more chatting to be responded to. All right. Hang on. Okay. Jeffrey Cunningham, you know me just waiting for those killies. Me too. I can't wait. The Fundalo Panchax Delta ends. Um, I've been, I probably said that wrong, but I've been, I've never kept that fish and I've wanted it since I was a teenager. So I hope it comes in, man. I hope it comes in. If this Nigeria order works, I'm going to be very happy. If it doesn't, 
well, I'll still be happy. I'll just find another place to order from, I guess. But I'm looking forward to those killies a lot. Punchy Paints, if you ever see the Royal Green Pipefish, I want some bad. I know the one you're talking about. If I see it, I will do my best to get some. I tried to get a couple species of pipefish this last order, but uh, they did not come, unfortunately. Jerry, Serple Morris. Hey, is green water a good live food for small fish like chili rasboars and the toothpicks? I always knew green water for fry, but rarely hatch brine shrimp to keep other life or keep other live foods. I think green water is too small. I don't know of any adult fish besides maybe some kind of filter feeder that would uh, eat green water. Now, they might eat some of the organisms in the green water, but no, I, I think green water itself is too small to feed adult chili rasboars and toothpicks and stuff like that. That's, yeah, they would need some other stuff. That's what I'm going with. I've never tried using that as like a staple for anything like that, but I, I don't think it would work. 2J, I'm very new to this world. Well, welcome to the world of fish. Well, wondering, or fish... Two, maybe. Sorry. I'm wondering, are there any negative side effects of using Fritz Turbo Start 900 rather than cycling a couple weeks without? Thanks. Um, I've never used Fritz Turbo Start, so I cannot speak to that. What I will say is I've used uh, bottled bacteria before. Maybe Fritz Turbo Start is great. Um, I don't know because I've never used it. The one I've used is Dr. Tim's Aquatics because uh, I know for sure his is legit. I'm not saying Fritz's isn't. I just haven't used it. But even so, I really think, especially if you're new to fish, that you want to go slow. There's a big difference between having bacteria in a tank that you need for the nitrogen cycle, right? Nitrifying bacteria and having a mature tank that is balanced and can digest all the stuff that goes into it. So I feel like there's a lot of focus on cycle, meaning you have nitrifying bacteria in your tank and less focus on a well-balanced mature tank that can take care of itself. So I would not rush into anything. What I would do Okay, if this was my first aquarium, I think the best way to start it with what I know now is I would get all the I would get it all up and running for sure. And the filters get make sure the heat's where I want it and everything's stable for a little while, a few days, right? Everything's running good, the heater isn't going up and down, everything's cool. Then what I would do is I, I would add some kind of nitrifying bacteria. You could try the Fritz Turbo Start. I've heard other folks talk about it um, and say that it works, but I haven't tried it. And then I would use live food. I would get some black worms or I would get a culture of scuds or I would get um, a whole bunch of snails, like pest snails, some kind of critter. And I would put them in there and I would feed them heavily for a month to six weeks. What that's going to do is that's going to uh, be just like having fish in there. The snails or scuds or blackworms or whatever are going to eat a bunch of food. You'll need to feed them just like you would fish and they're going to poop it out. So basically they're doing what fish do. But 
they're not very sensitive to ammonia and nitrite or nitrate. So they're very hardy. So while that tank is getting settled in and getting balanced to the point it can digest all this food you're putting in continuously that results in waste, while that's happening, you're growing live food. You're growing food for your fish you'll eventually put in. If you have the patience to do that for six weeks, then get some fish, put them in, and I think you'll experience a lot less problems than most people experience who try starting a tank and rushing into it. So that's the way I'd recommend. I know that takes a ton of patience. What we want to do is throw in a product and put the fish in immediately or a couple weeks or whatever. But I think it's the safest way to do it. And that's how I would do it if I was starting a new tank today. Like from scratch, a tank that... Yeah. When I do it differently, because I'm on an auto water change system and I, I just run things differently. But if I was just, I need a pretty tank in my living room and I'm new to this, that's how I would do it. Justin Mosley, I'm not saying that's how you should do it. I'm just saying with the experience I've gained, that's what I would do. Okay, Justin, do you have any hill stream loaches and have you been able to spawn them ever? I don't have any right now. I have spawned them. I, I never really tried to raise them or anything, but hill stream loaches will just spawn for you if they're happy. You might not get a bunch to raise up, but they definitely will um, spawn for you. And I'm sorry, I don't have any. I don't have any plans to get any anytime soon just because... Um, It's not that they won't work. I will get them again in the future, but not anytime soon. They're a special animal that takes special care. And for shipping, they're pretty difficult. Not that they don't ship well, but catching them and getting them into the bag and doing all that. They're, 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 they're hard fish to work with when you actually have to get in there and remove them and things. So um, not, not on the top of the list of what I'll get in, but they are a really cool fish. All right, we have one more minute. Candy overhauls from Alex Repco. Hey, Dan, easy way to grow Cory Fry. Um, so, Alex, I'll refer you to my channel. I have an entire video on collecting eggs, hatching eggs, incubating eggs, hatching eggs, raising fry from the time the eggs are laid on up till the fry are about half an inch or so. So check out that video and it'll explain exactly how I do it. Any plans to sell plans to sell plans? Oh, sorry. Any plans to sell plants once the warehouse is finished? Asks EJ Fishes 76. Nope. I'm going to stick to with fishes until, um, until that's like, I'm, I'm going narrow and deep. I'm not trying to do everything. I'm doing one thing. I'm trying to do fish really well. There are other places already that do plants really well online, like aquarium co-op, for example, they're famous for it. That's their bread and butter. That's what they're optimized for. Um, there's others as well. I, I just don't know that many. So if you're a plant person, you're like, what about me? I, I just, it's just not my world. So I'm sorry if I'm missing other good people. Um, I know Great Plains Aquatics does a good job. Um, several people do. But since that market's already been served, I've decided to go to a market that isn't being served at scale, and that is online by fish. I, I really don't feel like I feel like there's a need right now for someone to change that and do that in a way that makes the fish that's humane and uh, treats the fish with respect and gets them to the customer 
in such a way that the customer is very likely to do well with them long term. That doesn't exist right now, I don't think. I think that exists for plants, though. So um, that's why I've chosen to focus on fish. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to dig into that. I'm going to do it better than anyone else. And I'm going to make sure that I do it well enough and at a big enough scale that other people in this industry have to do a better job or they'll go out of business. And the reason I want to do that is I feel like if we don't, then we'll get regulated. And um, also, I just feel like it's the right thing to do. But the the ethos, the, the ethics behind the fish industry have not changed as the ethics and morals and expectations of society have changed. So when the industry got embedded in the 50s, 60s, 70s, still operating on most of that, those ethics, those thoughts of how fish are, should be kept and treated. Well, society has changed their view of how animals should be kept and treated since then. And if we don't improve to match that expectation, then pressure will be put on governments and other regulatory bodies. And we're going to feel the pain real bad here one day if we don't do a better job on our own. So that's why I think it's just necessary. So I'm digging into that. Once we get to the point where that change has been affected, then uh, maybe it'll be worth exploring some other things. Uh, I don't know. But I've got so much work ahead of me just to do that one thing that I'm not even thinking about the other stuff yet. All right, it's 832. We're going to shut it down. I'd like to start by thanking my mods who do an excellent job. Thanks so much. Really, really appreciate it. Everyone here who um, I missed your question or comment, I'm so sorry. I can never get to all of them, but I, I do my best. I wasn't too far behind today. <laughs> um, Anyway, thanks for the super chats. Thanks to everyone that participated in the chat and made it lively and fun. Everyone lurking, I'm with you, Lurker Nation. Everyone watching on the replay, thanks for watching. I appreciate you as well. I'll be back next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. So um, until then, I hope you have a good one. I don't think, let's see here. I want to make sure that Punchy Paints is not going tonight before I sign off because if she is going... I want to shout people over there, but lately she's been going Saturdays more, right? Punchy paints. So let me know. Is that a permanent thing? Punchy paints? Are you kind of not doing Wednesdays anymore? Or is that just uh, ouch? My arm hurts kind of adjustment that you're making. Um, I just want to find that out so I can send people to Pam if she's going. And if not, I know not to try to send people to Pam. Pam is next. Okay, cool. So Pam, that is our very own Punchy Paints. We'll be going at about, uh, in about 26 minutes. So if you want more, head on over to her channel. You'll get some good stories and some fun jokes. Um, anyway, hope you're doing well, Pam. Everyone else, until next time, I'll see you next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. I hope, you're, um, hope you have a good one. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs>